Don't tell me to shut up. I don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're saying. I don't know what anyone is saying. I'm very confused. It's my permanent state of being. Well, that's my permanent state of being. Well, we can't share it. You don't have a monopoly it. on confusion, Hannah. Yeah, I do. No. I bought it fair and square. That's not how that works. It is. I did it. I did it. If that's not how it works, then someone really took advantage of me. Yeah, well... And my money that I don't have. Is that confusing? Yes! <laughs> Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch? I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to ruse your lips, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Hi, Deanna. Hey, Hannah. I'm really glad that summer is fast approaching its end, or I hope it is. Yeah, what are you talking about? We're, we, we're in this for a while. I know, but... We've got September some time. is my... September and October are my favorite months. <clears throat> not September stays pretty hot, though, doesn't it? Here? In New York, it stays pretty warm, yeah, but it's not as bad. Yeah, fair. Plus, it's my birthday month, so... Uh, yeah, you're right. Usually by my birthday... It's like chilly in the evenings. Oh, chilly in the evenings. I'll take it. Hey, Dino, what's the name of this podcast we started doing 15 minutes ago? This podcast that you are currently listening to, that hopefully you haven't tuned out for, t- tuned out of, t- stopped listening to, mm-hmm. um, it's called Good Witches, comma, Bad Bitches, and we are your hosts. Hannah. <laughs> I know, you do it differently every time. I know, I try to keep you on your toes. Well, and, it worked. And moi, Deanna. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. Dina. Nope. Not Diana. Nope. Not Deanne. Not Deanna. Ooh. Deanna, as mm-hmm. in Deanna Troy. Thanks. Okay, bye. That's it. That was it. That's all. That's... See you later. Okay. Uh, peace out, witches. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we are a weekly podcast, <clears throat> and we tend to tell stories about women through history, although if you listened last week, you know that we are, we are, I wouldn't say rebranding, but making sure we are inclusive of other, yeah, other oh. sorts of peeps. Other sorts of peeps. Sorry, I just spilled wine everywhere. Like Oshtish. Oh, shit. Um, it's all over me. Oh my God, calm down. Uh, calm down, woman. Okay. <laughs> Hashtag internalized misogyny. Um, but yeah, so we tell, we talk about... Generally, the feminine friendly folks who in history did stuff or are currently doing stuff, and uh, we think that you need to know about them. So, welcome. Hopefully, you enjoy this kind of thing. <laughs> Otherwise, you're in for a wild ride. Yeah, what are you doing here? Um, who knows? Yeah. Maybe, maybe you don't know what you're doing here yet, and you'll listen and you'll be like, wow, that's a really cool thing. I just learned some cool shit. I just learned shit. some cool shit. And then you'll stay and you'll continue mm-hmm. to come back week after week. That's the goal. Yeah. That's the notion. Yeah. So that's what our podcast is about. It's <clears throat> about that. We're very articulate and we write really down everything that we say mm-hmm. um, so that it's totally clear and, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, mm, that was a good solid ending well, right there. All right, all right, good, good, good point, Hannah. Yeah, thanks. Um, I wanted to start this week, if you'll allow me the space. I may. Yeah, you may. All right, you might change your mind I, halfway through. Yeah, it's possible. You haven't decided. Yeah, no. I want to read <laughs> a Tumblr post that I found that I was like, "Holy shit!" Eh, don't want it. Just kidding. Go ahead. Because you're very active on Twitter and find things on Twitter. Yeah. I am very active on Tumblr. Yes. We round each other out. We do. Um, so this is a post that I'm hoping won't come across terribly convoluted, but it's about Ginger Rogers. Oh. Um, okay. And it starts with this GIF. I'll show you. Oh. That. Mm-hmm. And so. Ginger mm-hmm, Rogers dancing. Yeah. It's her and, and Fred Astaire. Um Stepping on a chair together, spinning, stepping on a table, stepping on a chair to come down. And the person said, watching this and fearing broken ankles with each loop, I can't help but thinking about that old quote, Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did except backwards and in high heels. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. And then somebody comments on that gif that says, no, if you watch closely, you'll see she doesn't even step on the, the second chair. That means she had to trust him to lift her gently to the ground while he was spinning down chair. That takes major guts. I'd be peeing myself and fearing a broken neck if I was in her place. And then someone else expounded on it a little bit. So this is true, but a tiny part of a wider truth. Ginger Rogers was a fucking badass. Ignore for a second the rampant sexism in Hollywood. They once bleached her hair blonde in a wardrobe fitting without telling her beforehand. Uh, The fact that she fought her whole career against typecasting and stereotyping from fellow actors, Catherine Hepburn famously said of the Astaire Rogers partnership, she gave him sex. He gave her class. Ew. Um, For starting out in musicals and went on to have a career lasting over 50 years, winning a Best Actress Oscar for Kitty Foyle in 1940, but just focusing on the movies she was in with Fred Astaire. Not only did she dance, quote, backwards in high heels, the dances were a task in themselves. Astaire was an absolute perfectionist and choreographed for himself. So as a younger, less experienced dancer, Rogers came in at a disadvantage and worked her ass off to match him. Then there's complications with filming. These numbers were always filmed in one take. So one thing goes wrong and you have to start over. Maybe you make a mistake because your dress flies up because she had to contend with her wardrobe. Dancing in heels is the norm at this time, but dancing in a dress designed for cinema cameras, not so much. They were heavy, embellished, uncomfortable, restrictive, and cumbersome, and essentially a third member of the dance strapped to the body of one partner. Not only did she have to dance and look good, she had to control her dress too. And then they show a clip of a dance. Um, It says, this dress has weights. Yes, weights sewn into the hem to make it fly out and create a particular visual effect. So it's extra heavy. It hurts if it hits you and your partner gets mad if it hits him. So you have to control it. Well, turns out all of these factors on this set, this particular day aren't going so well. You're doing take after take, at a time with no labor laws, so it's 4 a.m. after 18 hours of shooting, and you're still going, even though part of the routine requires you to spin up a set of curved stairs with no railing at high speed. So, now back to her heels. In Ginger's autobiography, she vividly remembers this night as the night she bled through her shoes. (gasps) They did so many takes, her feet blistered, bled, and the white satin high heels she was wearing finished the night pink because they were literally full of blood. Oh my and still God. they keep shooting. She keeps dancing. They use the, the take they use in the film is the last take. Early hours, bloody feet, and she spins, acts, and uh, bosses out until the last second because she was that professional, talented, and 
well-minded. The last set of spins is insane. So Ginger Rogers was a badass. She did everything Fred Astaire did backwards, in high heels, wearing a 20-pound dress, exhausted, injured, and standing in a pool of her own blood. And watching her perform, you would never know. Holy fuck. I had no idea about, like, the weighted dresses and that specific incident. And if you watch that film and you watch the take in the film and she just looks effortless and I mean they all do I mean Fred Astaire surely was tired too but that's a good point that she's in that heavy dress in heels her feet are bleeding right being tired is one thing but being tired weighted down and injured is another thing entirely and I guarantee you if she'd ever complained she would have been called fucking weak or hysterical or whatever uh, whatever know, women get fuss. making a fuss you know making problems also do you want to cost the studio more money right like sh- that would have been put on her head right if she had said anything about it and i just i didn't realize that wow. i mean I, I guess i did i mean fred astaire was a genius and a great choreographer and an amazing dancer but it's a good point that he choreographed for himself and his strengths and she was able to match him with less experience and in heels and a 20-pound dress. Yeah. Anyway, she was awesome. And he was awesome, too. But, like, that's just crazy to think about. That, that Catherine Hepburn, who I, of course, what a actually <laughs> like. It's like, she gave him sex. He gave her class. Like, what? No, that's fucked up, Catherine. I'm, I'm not sure about you with, with that comment. I mean, I don't know about... I mean, the point is, I guess, that he's not... He doesn't have a whole lo- uh, hell of a lot of sex appeal without someone to add that, is her point. Yeah. But that's a really crass and gross yeah. and sexist way of putting it. Right. Like, there's a specific reason you're, you're wording it that way. Mm-hmm. He gave her class... She is so classy to me. Well, especially after that. That's one of the things I love about Tumblr is, like, random people know the coolest shit. <laughs> and they... And will just... Add, they'll be like, actually, let me fill you in a little bit. Yeah. Like, that's where we found that um, that person who had, like, done a, done a psychology paper or something on male friendships and female friendships and, like, why why men sort of invented this concept of the friend zone right. when it comes to women. Like, right. that was just a random person on Tumblr who's like, I studied this in class, and now I'm going to give you all this this information that I have. Like, Right, because you cool. could, if you knew where to look, you could find the thesis or the paper or whatever mm-hmm. if it's published online. Like, my thesis is published somewhere, but nobody's going to actively search for my thesis unless... Yeah. I mean, who knows? But anyway. Yeah. They were like, this is what my thesis is on, and let me tell you all about it. And then it just goes viral on Tumblr. I love Tumblr for that reason. Yeah. There are a lot of reasons that Tumblr is a trash website, but. I mean, that's true. That is certainly not one of them. Yeah. So much social media is just. Has devolved. Yeah. I don't even, like, I I don't know. I grapple every other day with deleting my Facebook I, I don't, just... I know, I w- the thing is, it's the same thing, and I can, I can talk shit about Jeff Bezos all I want, and I do not like him as a person. Like, it just, it, it boggles my mind. Like, Amazon is, has so much money, and I'm a member of Amazon, I'm an Amazon, pro- like, that's the thing, is that, but it's so, especially in New York City, it's super convenient, because it's hard to drag a bunch of stuff everywhere, so yeah. it's easy to order something and have it delivered to your house in two days. Yep. But at the same time, the man doesn't pay taxes no and yeah. his workers are on food stamps and disabled and becoming homeless it's really <sighs> upsetting like there need to be better 
regulations on how that kind of thing is handled. Like, it's just irresponsible for a man to be like, I have so much money, I don't even know what to do with it, when your fucking employees are going homeless because they get injured yeah. because of unsafe working conditions in your warehouse. Yeah. Now I'm going off the rails, but like, the, but the point is just <laughs> like, I... I keep be thinking like nobody needs that mu- like nobody needs that much money. You can't take it with you. So what's the fucking point? No, they stick it in the Cayman Islands and they don't ever fucking touch it. It's bizarre. There's a documentary I really want to see too that just came. I think it's called Generation Wealth or something. Oh, yeah. That's about how like the hum- human nature is basically like as people get more money, they're never satisfied with the amount of money they have. Yeah. So even people who are super rich, that's why they're so scared to let it go. Anyway. Yeah, it's true. This started off about Ginger Rogers, and now here we are. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, sorry. I'm, no, we'll, it's We'll great. bring it back. It's all organic. Yeah, it's, it, well, yes. <laughs> it is. Good witches, bad is. bitches. 100% organic. Ooh. Grass-fed. New slogan, grass-fed. Yeah, we are. That's so true. Hormone-free and you're, you know, mm-hmm. well, no added hormones. <laughs> <laughs> I had my I hormones removed a long time all ago. All your hormones are gone. They're all gone. How is the AC on and I'm still sweaty? I hate how humid it is. You're Scandinavian. I'm Scandinavian. <laughs> Feel better? I do. Thank All you. right. Who are you going to tell me about this week? I'm going to tell you about a very interesting woman. Um, she is neither a good witch nor a bad bitch. Somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. Cool. And keep in mind as I'm reading, take most of what I tell you with a grain of salt. Really? Yes. Why? Because Because so much of her story was told by... Is she mythological, basically? No. In her mind... I think she probably was. Um, Her story is very different in her own words than it is in the words of other historians who have documented her. And what was really fascinating as I was researching is, like, I found articles that took information from her book about herself, and then I found articles that took information from the book that a biographer did about her. And there are some really interesting discrepancies Mm. that I chose to leave some in just to kind of, like, point out some of that. Um, So, yeah, keep that in mind. She's, like, so much about her history and her past is, like, really gray area. Yeah. um, Because we can't really know the truth. All right. So, um, I'm going to tell you today about Elizabeth Bentley. Have you ever heard that name? Yes. You may have, yeah. If you've ever heard of Julius or Ethel Rosenberg, yes, you may have heard of Elizabeth Bentley, which is, yeah, okay. All right. I, I don't know where this is going, but yet <laughs> I'm, I have a low level of familiarity with mm-hmm. some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I took, um, I took information from a few places, Wikipedia, PBS.org. Um, I went back to scandalouswomen.blogspot because, it, I know, they, have, they had some really, they, she clearly took more of her information directly from Elizabeth Bentley's biography. Um, Scandalous Women. Scandalous Women. And uh, New York Times. Elizabeth Bentley led a spy ring. <laughs> For the Soviet Union and helped start what became the Red Scare. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. 
She became the first ex-communist to testify before a congressional committee, committee and name names. Gross. Some newspapers tried to titillate their readers by referring to the female ringleader as a shapely blonde in a form-fitting black dress. <laughs> uh, At this time period... They were so obsessed all the time about talking about what women were wearing. Yeah. Well, and liberal... I mean, we still are, but... Liberal critics of the anti-communist crusade called her a neurotic spinster. Great. In reality, she was a plain-looking woman who had an active sex life and suffered from alcoholism. She was very normal and had a lot of problems. And... Don't we all? The reason I included that little snippet is just because, like, it's so indicative of how many different people have told her story and how like, badly, or I guess just how different all mm. the variations of it are. Mm. So, Bentley was born in Connecticut in 1908 and later educated in the humanities at Vassar College and Com- Columbia University. Oh. Uh-huh. She, um, she traveled to Italy several times during her undergraduate and graduate years in order to learn the language, and while studying in Florence, Elizabeth first made the acquaintance with fascism. She was, mm-hmm, yeah. She came into her own as an individual, smoking, drinking, generally indulging in promiscuity. Fun. Um, that does sound fun. <laughs> it, it sounds fun. It sounds fun. Um, while she deplored what she saw of Mussolini and fascism, again, that's according to Scandalous Women, which I think they took that from her biography um, to you- kind of like, sim- you know, make her sympathetic. Um, so while she deplored... Mussolini and fascism, she joined the fascist party to take advantage of the perks that were allowed to students. On her return to Colombia, however, she wrote several papers denouncing the fascist government in Italy and joined the American Anti-Fascist League. Antifa. Antifa. Yeah. Which started in Germany. Which makes sense. Which makes sense. Um, Yeah. So, that seems a little suspect to me, though, to be like, I abhor fascism, but I'm going to join the party. Right. I like the perks of being a student who is also a fascist. Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of your first clue that she's less somebody who, like, um, really loves a, a, a cause and more somebody who is swayed by the people in the cause. Yeah. So. Which is an easy... Yeah. Way to be. Like, yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So she returned to a country that was in the grips of the Great Depression. Um, Elizabeth found it hard to make ends meet while studying at Columbia. She also claimed to have lost a potential grant because of her involvement with fascism while studying abroad. Um, <laughs> yeah. She, ma- she blames a lot of people for a lot of shit in her life. Um, It was not only the poor that were hurting during the Depression, of course, it was the middle class. Um, And despite an education from Vassar and Columbia, she was forced to take secretarial courses in order to find any work at all. While living in Morningside Heights, which is in Manhattan, she made the acquaintance of a woman named Lee Fuhrer living in her building who introduced her to the Communist Party. Probably because of her exposure to fascism in Italy, Bentley was enamored of the party, the Communist Party, and joined the American League Against War and Fascism, as I already mentioned. Um, Antifa. Antifa, a communist underground organization in 1935. A short time later, she joined, officially joined the U.S. Communist Party. 
Here, Elizabeth found a new home. She responded to the camaraderie of the members, and although it took her a while to actually join the party... Camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yeah. She finally did, and did it under a pseudonym. I don't know what that pseudonym was, though. It didn't... Nothing I found said. Well, that's weird, because it seems to imply that there was a little bit of sense of shame about it somehow. Well, this was at a time when being communist was not, like, super accepted. This was, like, right around the time that, like, the Bolsheviks were doing their thing in Russia, and that was really scary. Right. That makes sense. So, yeah. All Um, right. So she joined under a pseudonym. So she joined under a pseudonym. Soon she was attending two or three meetings a week, volunteering. That's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, She was volunteering to write for the newspaper, and she was working as the party secretary for her unit. What's a unit? I assume, like, chapter. All right. Like, her chapter. Yeah. Um, in 1938, Bentley began working as a secretary for Jacob Golosh, a Ukrainian-born Bolshevik. Golosh. I'm assuming that's... It's G-O-L-O-S. Oh, Golosh. And I think that's what it's... I think that's how it's pronounced. What's funny is I a couple articles I found were just like, Jacob Golosh, a Russian emigrant. But, but when I digged a little deeper, and I think this was from Wikipedia. Digged. digged? Oh, my God. I do that sometimes on this podcast where I'm like, I just say a word that like, is not the word. I'm a writer, guys. I'm a writer, not a speaker. Boom. There it is. <laughs> I dug deeper. Um, it turns out Jacob Golosh was a Ukrainian-born Bolshevik revolutionary. Okay. Who became an American citizen under the name Jacob Golosh. He was something else in Ukraine, and I couldn't pronounce it, so I laughed it out because I'm that kind of person. Um, so he could become an intelligence operative on behalf of the USSR. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so she became his secretary? Yep. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. He worked for the Society for Technical Aid to Soviet Russia, which was a front for Soviet industrial espionage. He was also the handler of Harry Gold, one of the Venona spies, which I didn't know what that was, and I looked it up. It's very, like, uh, like I don't know, spy or spy kind of feeling. But they were, the Venona spies were spies who passed secrets about U.S. atomic research to the Soviets. Oh. And so the U.S. They had a lot of responsibility. Yeah. The U.S. government f- intercepted a bunch of those, um those telegrams or cables and spent a bunch of time decrypting them. Whoa. And so Harry Gold was one of those, one of those guys. Cool. Um, Golosh, however, did not initially recruit Bentley into espionage. Rather, it was a coworker, Juliet Stewart Points, who was known as Juliet Glazer in America, um, had recruited her when Bentley worked simultaneously with her position under Golosh at the Italian Information Library. For a year, Bentley There's used a lot her. Going on. Yeah, she was doing a lot. She used her position at the library to collect and pass on information on pro fascist activity for which the library was a front. Wait, say that sentence <laughs> one more time? Basically, the library, she, she started working at the Italian Information Library. Because she knew that it was a front for pro-fascist activity, and she so made them she think... she was working as a spy. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. 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 And she was giving information about the pro-fascist activity there mm. to Juliet Glazer slash Juliet Stewart Points, 
um, until <laughs> I wrote, after she ended her job at the library, or if you're to believe scandalous women slash Bentley herself, she was fired after the library discovered anti-fascist essays that she'd written while in Italy at school. So she was fired from the library for whatever reason, or she left. Uh-huh. Bentley began doing low-level espionage work for Golosh, and the two became romantically involved. Um, Golosh trained her well in the ways of espionage, everything from making sure to use a payphone whenever possible to how to lose a possible tail. She took an apartment in Greenwich Village, chiefly because it had a fireplace that she could use to burn any documents that could be traced back to her. Wait, one more time on that one? She, uh, <laughs> she took an apartment in Greenwich, Vi- Greenwich Village. I know where that is. Chiefly because it had a fireplace, which she used to burn any documents that could be traced back to her. Okay. So she took this apartment purely because it had a fireplace, and she could just burn shit that might reveal her espionage work. Okay. At Golosh's instigation, Bentley took a secretarial job assisting Richard Waldo, a conservative businessman, and and she spied on his contacts, his conversations, and movements, and reported the details to Golosh. Bentley also began doing other espionage work. She carried information, including copies of U.S. government documents to other agents and couriers, and she entertained men on his recommendations in order to spy on them. Um, and I'm not sure what entertained men means. Like there if it multiple, there are multiple ways things you can entertain men mm-hmm. in a spy sort of fashion. Right. So I'm not I sure how what, far that uh, went. Spy movies will have you think. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I uh, mean, she was when she was in Italy. She was, you know, indulging in her promiscuous side. So clearly, she's not afraid of her sexuality. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's yeah, happening. Yeah, either she took them to dinner and, like, got them to tell her shit or... Right, 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 right. You know, who knows? Um, there's not a lot of elaboration on that. But later decryption of the Venona cables showed Bentley appearing in messages under the name um, Clever Girl. That's a cool name. Yeah. It's better than Gossip Girl. <laughs> it, it is. It is indeed. <laughs> After Golosh suffered a heart attack and his health started to decline, Bentley took over more and more of the spy work. She began making trips down to Washington every two weeks and then eventually every week, meeting with her contacts, ferrying documents back and forth. Um, She began carrying a large knitting bag with her as a cover for, like, carrying all these documents. Right. Um, Eventually, Elizabeth was running two two different spy networks with 30 people each. Um, Were they both, did they have the same goal? They had the same goal, but I think the point of having different ones is that, like, if a spy from this one is asked information about a spy from this one, they won't know. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, they won't necessarily have the info. Right. Her job was not just to ferry documents at this point, now that she was running these networks, but also to soothe the worries of the contacts under her care, listen to their problems, advise them, and keep them in the fold. She was kind of like a therapist also, a, therapist a little boss. bit. Therapist boss. Um, at the same time, I didn't put this in my notes because my notes were just running long, but I figure it's worth a mention. She was working at a shipping company under Golosh as, like, she was vice president of this company and making an $800 a month salary, which at the time is really good. Um, but the, this company was a front for all of this activity. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So I think that's also part of it is, like, she had a fucking cush job. Like, 
it wasn't just that she loved communism this much. She was also well taken care of. And how communist? How, yeah, very much. She had great benefits. She had a great salary. She had a, a great lover. She got her good share of the, mm-hmm. of the profits. Yep. So on Thanksgiving in 1943, her world changed when Jacob Golosh died <gasps> on her living room couch. <gasps> yeah, sucks. As a How good, did he die? I don't know, but I assume it was heart-related because he had that heart attack earlier. Dang, Golosh. Mm-hmm. I know. Apparently he had, like, a wife and a mistress and, like, well, she was a second mistress in could, addition to all this shit. That could be rough on your heart. I feel like, and, yeah. you know, high stress. Yeah, just exerting yourself too much, just a little bit, could happen. Um, yep. So, as a good Soviet agent, uh, Elizabeth called the appropriate people and made sure to burn all documents before calling the ambulance and the police. Whoa. After his death, the Soviets decided to wrest control from Elizabeth of the two spy rings that she handled. Wait, but why? While they appreciated all the work that she had done for them said in a sort of condescending tone, um, they thought that the Americans were sloppy in the way that they handled their contacts um, and the way that they, like, became friends with them. It just wasn't the Soviet way to, like, be buddy-buddy with your contacts. So while Elizabeth uh, fought, to ha- uh, fought having to relinquish her duties, eventually there was just nothing she could do, and ultimately she hated working for the Soviets. Like, she much preferred working for Jacob... Mm. who she loved and who was her lover and, like, it was, right. you know, easy breezy. Right, right, right. Cover girl. Um, <laughs> so after a while, she started to suspect that the Soviets were planning to kill her. And That wouldn't be a surprise. No. And the recent defection of another Soviet spy to Canada threatened to reveal her own role. Can we defect to Canada? God, yes, please. Get your passport renewed so we can just make that shit happen. Just get on a train and go and never come back. Um, She decided that rather than waiting for the FBI to arrest her, it would be better to go to them. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. So on November 7th, 1945, just after lunch, Elizabeth Bentley walked into the FBI offices in New Haven, Connecticut, and proceeded to change the course of history. And, of course, the dudes who were there were just like, who is this matronly, like, slightly, you know, she was, I think, in her uh, 30s at the time, and they were kind of like, what the fuck is this woman doing here talking about spies and shit? Like, come on. But she gave such extensive detail that the eventual report ran to 107 pages with an index. She named, yeah, she not only named names... And the list of that ran to almost 150 people, but she created a report that was 107 pages. 180 in a real big way. Yeah. That's why I say, like, I think her real, her only real attachment was Jacob. So she was like, I have no loyalty to these people, which is kind of ironic. It really is. I mean, she just didn't, she didn't like them. She didn't like working for them. And I think think like she wasn't so in love with communism itself that it that she it was just in love with much. the communist yeah and she liked the work and she liked being paid and she liked feeling useful she liked feeling useful she really uh, later in life like she would find ways to sort of m- try and maintain relevance yeah 
and I so I think this is part of that. Is she felt relevant and important, and you know, I can relate. So yeah, she did some crazy shit. And I then, definitely have a stronger sense of loyalty, but I understand yeah. liking <laughs> feeling relevant and yeah. important and useful. I mean, you don't necessarily like the thing that she did is she was just kind of like, yes, I believe in this thing, this like, uh, this all encompassing life view. Yeah. Which is not something that I think I can see you doing. Like, I don't think you would just be like, I'm a fascist today because I love a fascist. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I can't see myself doing that either. <laughs> it would end up being like, you know, my partner would go, hey, I'm a fascist out of nowhere. And I'd go, hey, you're no longer dating me. Bye. Um, <laughs> yeah, she had almost total recall probably honed from the time when she had to memorize huge chunks of information in her work as a Soviet spy. So the only flaw to all of this was her lack of documentation. She had done her job too well by eliminating all the paperwork oh, that could have betrayed her. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. So for the next <laughs> two years, the FBI checked out the details in her story. They ordered wiretaps on the contacts that she had named, sent field agents to follow them, and up to 200 FBI agents were eventually involved. Yeah, it was a huge operation. Man, a lot of people are making money just from investigating her claims. Yeah, including her. Like, they 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 paid her. her, Mm -hmm. The plan now... Which again, she's relevant, useful. Right. Helpful. Yeah. Two years, like, she, she embedded herself with the FBI and... They sort of became Threw her all new family. Pals under the bus. Uh huh. So yeah. So the plan now was to use Elizabeth Bentley as a counterintelligence agent and like send her back into the Soviet fold. Soviets don't want anything. But to do as with the her, U.S. Right? Well, so the FBI became stymied in their investigation when, unbeknownst to them, the KGB found out that Elizabeth had defected. Yeah. So um, the Soviets ceased <laughs> all covert operations. Like, all of full them. stop? And recalled all their agents back to Moscow. Oh, well, that's not obvious. Yeah, I like, mean... oh, hey, where did Milos go? Oh, bye. That was probably the biggest corroboration that she could have gotten to her story. True. Was that, like, the minute she's, she gave all this information over, all the, all the Soviet spying in America stopped. It ceased for years, years and years. Dang. So that was like, they were kind of like, okay. <laughs> so that says something. Um, that says something. Thank yeah, you. You're welcome. Um, so, yeah. So, oh, if there was another major result of Elizabeth's confession, it made the U.S. aware of how lax their security had been because she named all of these government officials, like lots of government people. And they were KGB. Yep. Yep. So background checks on all new employees were ordered. They didn't use... They, they didn't the U.S. government didn't do background checks before 1945. Can you believe that? What an innocent time. <laughs> I thought that was so fucking funny. And you be like, hey, you love America, right? Oh, totally. And a loyalty of oath was, was required at the time of hiring. So, like, you had to swear that you were... A fucking American and that you loved America. That's it. No, that was that was included. So background checks and a loyalty of um, 
an oath of a loyalty oath. <laughs> blah, 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 words. Um, That's so dumb. Yeah, so those two things were implemented after the fact because they were like, wow, we let a lot of Soviet agents become government officials. Crazy. How did we do that? Um, so Hoover, however, was not about to let a coup like this slip out of his fingers. We both used the word coup in this. Yes, we did. <laughs> Last week we had acoustic, and acoustic. now we have like a real... Oh, man. Which acoustic confused me so much for it a second. It confused me when I said it out loud, because I'd only ever read it. <laughs> uh, so now Hoover doesn't want a coup stick. Uh, yep, he wasn't, allow- he wasn't about to let that coup stick slip out of his fingers. <laughs> When the Venona cables were decrypted... Finally. Finally. They had more evidence that Elizabeth Bentley was telling the truth, because she was mentioned many times in the cables as, as we said, clever, clever girl, girl, along with a host of other agents that she had named. Um, and the Republicans saw their chance to use Elizabeth's confession to their advantage, to prove that Truman was soft on communism, and to sweep the Republican Party back into the office, mm. back into office. After almost 18 years of Democratic rule, they were sick of it, um, and they hated Roosevelt's New Deal. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, even though... to this day still are like... Oh my God, the New Deal, it saved us from the Great Depression, I hate it so much, Whatever. Where am I? <laughs> the New Deal. The New Deal. Okay. It was the beginning of the nation's uh, paranoia about communism, and the Republicans took advantage. What soon came after, of course, was the Red Scare. Wow. Republicans love taking advantage of xenophobia and mm-hmm. fear. Yeah. Like, throughout this, the, the last century. Well, because if you think about it, the only times that we have been prosperous as a country, at least in the last century, ha- have been under Democratic um, presidents. That's the only time we are ever prosperous. The rest of the time, we're deregulating shit. But Reagan. <laughs> oh, yes, Reagan. We're not talking about Reagan. No, let's not Sorry. talk about Reagan. Not yet. So, despite the shaky ground that she stood on with the press and the people, she was still called to testify in the Rosenberg trial. Her statement... Roy Cohn. uh Uh-huh. Roy Cohn. Yeah, yeah. Fuck that piece of shit. Fuck all of this. Many men did. Ooh, you, I see what you did there. So, Zow. You might have to explain that to the people. Oh, Roy Cohn was a piece of shit lawyer who was incredibly closeted and died of AIDS, but nobody knew at the time. Uh, and he was he was very, very conservative in many ways and represented a lot of shitty people. And are the reason he's the reason he was, that, that the Rosenbergs died. He was buddy buddy with McCarthy and um, Trump was also buddy buddy with Roy Cohn. Of course he was. For a long time. So just, you know, keep that in your brains. Um, so... Uh, where, oh, yeah. So despite the shaky ground she stood on with the press and with the people, um, she was because she there wasn't really much corroboration for a lot of the shit. And they were also like, well, she's a Soviet. Like, why are you like, why do you care? Why do you care? And there's no evidence that she's telling the truth and blah, blah, blah. Um, Alternative facts. Mm-hmm. So she was still called to testify in the Rosenberg trial, and her statement had led the FBI to Harry Gold, who I mentioned earlier, who had been a courier for David Greenglass, who was also part of um, one of the people. Who was he? Who, his wife, Ruth Greenglass, 
was something in, as part, fuck, I should have looked this up. The name is on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember what David Greenglass, what his meaning was in the Rosenberg trial. Was he on trial too? Atomic spy for the Soviet Union who worked on the Manhattan Project was, uh, was briefly stationed at the Clinton Engineer Works uh, uranium enrichment facility at Oak Ridge, Tennessee, then worked at the Los, Los Alamos Laboratory in New Mexico. That's all his assets? Okay. I mean, there's a lot. He provided testimony to help convict his sister and brother-in-law. That's what it is. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. So, Elizabeth testified that Golosh had met a tall, thin man with glasses one night who was named Julius. While she was not sure that the Julius was Julius Rosenberg... Her testimony, along with that of Green Glass, Ethel Rosenberg's brother, I should have just continued reading, what am I doing? And Harry Gold sent the Rosenbergs to the electric chair. Yay! And I do want to do Ethel Rosenberg at some point, because obviously that's a really contentious thing. Um, Ethel Rosenberg and Julius Rosenberg were put to death for treason, for For spying. Um, on us, on behalf of the Soviets, and supposedly supplying the Soviets with crucial information about the Manhattan Project and our atomic technology, um, which the Russians later used to fuck with us during the Korean War. So great. Um, So, hurting for money, since the government only paid her travel expenses when she testified, Elizabeth agreed to write her autobiography, entitled Out of Bondage. Um, Elizabeth produced a melodramatic story portraying herself as the innocent, naive victim duped by forces larger than herself. Yes. And the book sold... Which super undermines her own intelligence and capability. She ran two spy rings single-handedly. Right. Absolutely. And And she's like, oh, but I'm just a little old woman. I can't... I didn't know. I kind of feel like Fuck she maybe you. never did know her own intelligence or her own. Like, I think it's very possible that she really saw herself that way. Because sure. she, she kind of seems like. Or maybe like, she convinced herself. Yeah, she oh. lives a lot of her life like that. Like sort of, you know, a leaf in the wind. True. True, from what I can tell. Uh, yeah. Thus so, far in your storytelling. Thus far. So, yeah, so the book sold below expectations. Aww. And once again, Elizabeth was running out of money because, of course, like, she didn't, she no longer had her job at the Schmancy Shipping Company that was a Soviet front. Um, and although she was now in her 40s, she had never learned to budget save or manage her money she loved restaurants hotels and nice clothes and she had for for those two years that she was an informant at the fbi she had depended on them for money often running to them when she encountered problems um and she couldn't really do that anymore hey hey i have more stuff for you give me money mm-hmm. yeah and, and later in life she did end up becoming like a paid informant for the fbi mm. just like throughout the rest of her life on various things concerning, yeah. I you mean, think people would have known at a certain point to not tell her sensitive information? I think it was still to do with... Um, Old info? Communism and, like, the people that she supposedly had been in contact with. Because mm. these trials went on for a long fucking time. I mean, right. there were tons of people that they had to get through. So she was doing this for a long time and, and getting paid to to inform yeah. on these people. Yeah. And that was how she kind of stayed liquid for a while. 
um, throughout the 50s... Elizabeth Bentley, liquid human. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, she liked her restaurants and her nice clothes. Um, throughout the 50s, Elizabeth suffered severely from depression, became paranoid, convinced the, that the communists were out to get her, um, particularly when the IRS came after her for back taxes. She bounced around from one teaching job to another, having to leave when irate parents found out about her or from various other scandals that seemed to keep popping up. Um, and eventually she died in the fall of 1963 from cancer at 55 years old. That's young. The funeral was sparsely attended and the obituaries were small. And soon she was just a footnote in the period we call the McCarthy era. Even though she basically started it all. Yeah, she basically was the catalyst for all of this. Wow. Um, the espionage campaign in which Bentley participated has to rank as one of the most formidable conspiracies ever launched on American soil. Uh, oh, this is from CIA.gov, which I took this little paragraph because I was like, that's interesting that the CIA has this, like, clearly they have a specific angle and a specific bent. But just, just considering what we're dealing with today... To have them have this on their website... Tell me. ...is just like, okay. So the espionage campaign in which Bentley participated has to rank as one of the most formidable conspiracies ever launched on American soil. Soviet military and party intelligence organs, with copious support from the Communist Party of the United States, penetrated many corners of the American government, military and industrial establishments, both before and during World War II. The take was enormous, ranging from gossip about New Dealers and military data to the details of the super-secret Manhattan Project to build an atomic bomb. Um, the reason I say that that feels like it's crazy that that's like on government, like on our government fucking internet, is that w- we have just seen, I think, the next biggest... Russian espionage campaign on American soil mm-hmm. happen, and it's still happening. I mean, our intelligence officials confirmed that Russian, uh, the Russians are currently, right now, interfering in the November, the coming November election. Yeah, they are. They are doing it as we sit here talking on this podcast. It's a campaign that is has been helped along by government officials, by military, by, you know, industrial establishments. Isn't that insane? Like, it's crazy. They could be talking about what happened two years ago. They could be talking about what's happening right now in that paragraph. Yeah. That could be now. If I didn't, if I hadn't been telling you this story. Anyway. Wow. Um... So I'm just going to finish with this paragraph from the biography that um, a woman named Catherine Olmsted wrote called Red Spy Queen, which is a book I want to read now. She said her obituaries underestimated her importance. Um, Mrs. Ms. Bentley had controlled dozens of agents. Her defection shut down the Soviet espionage system in the United States for some time. She began a trail that led to the convictions of Hiss and the Rosenbergs, however you feel about that, and she helped define the partisan political warfare of the early Cold War. Far from being naive and flighty, the real Elizabeth Bentley was a strong woman who defied limits, laws, and traditions. Hmm. And that is 
Soviet and U.S. spy, Elizabeth Bentley. You're right. She is definitely <laughs> neither a good witch nor a bad bitch. No, she is... Super gray area. Uh-huh. She did good things, but I think inherently everything she did was selfish. Mm. And so I don't know that we can, like, moralize yeah. her, really, by calling her either. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. She just she, wanted to be useful and... Yeah. But what she did, the things she did do, however selfish or not, helped launch a very, very specific period in our history. This shit that's still going on. Shit that is still going on. Since Putin is former KGB. There you go. He knows what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> Was that a little too real for a Sunday afternoon? No. <laughs> no. Um, no. So today is August 15th. Middle of the month. Middle of the month. Uh, uh, 1461. Emperor Trebizond. What a name. <laughs> it's my future kid's name. I'm definitely pronouncing that incorrectly. I apologize. Surrenders to forces of Sultan Mehmet II, the last Byzantine Empire remnant to fall. Oh. Uh, 1620, the Mayflower set sail from Southampton, England, with 102 pilgrims. Is this Plymouth? We just came from Plymouth. Weird. What is that from? It's Eddie Izzard. Thank you. Why are we? Is this Plymouth? <laughs> We've just come from Plymouth. <laughs> oh, Eddie. New Amsterdam, New York. Yeah, we were very, very um, creative. Creative. Oh, yeah. 1900, the Boxer Rebellion. Ooh. Yeah. In China, the Empress, her family, and court retainers flee while foreign troops move through Peking in an attempt to quell the rebellion. Whoa. Yeah. There was so much un, uh, unrest and upheaval in the early 1900s. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in conjunction with industrialization and people being sick of monarchies. Yeah. Um, 1947, India gains independence from Great Britain. Finally. Uh-huh. <laughs> 1998, um, there's a bombing in Northern England, in Northern, England, Northern Ireland. And I'm Om Omog, o Oma. I don't know. That's the city where the bombing took place, um, and it was the worst terrorist incident of the Troubles. Um, 1969 Woodstock Music and Art Fair opens in New York State on Max Yasger's Dairy Farm. Woodstock is a really cool little city. I want to go there. You, we should go. We yeah. should go up there because it's real cute. Let's fucking do it. You can take a train. Let's fucking do it. All right. That's that. That's that, Deanna. What that are you was, excited that a, about? That was a crazy story. What am I excited about this week? Let me tell you what I'm excited about this week. I have found my newest unwinding, relaxing reality TV show. Oh, to tell, to tell. And it's really easy to fall asleep to, and it's just really lovely and <laughs> quaint. And you know how it's like... The Great British Bake Off. Uh, I was literally just going to ask you, is it like the Great Great British Bake Off? It, not at all, but except for the fact that it is British. <laughs> oh, okay. It's yeah. just like British reality TV that's not like Geordie Shore is, um, it's like so 
sweet sometimes. So <laughs> what I'm really excited about, I discovered on Netflix on a whim. It's called, I think it's called Escape to the Countryside. And it is literally like British house hunters who are moving oh, no. to the English countryside and trying to find it. Like they get shown three homes and they're all, like. Am I just going to be extremely jealous watching this? I am a little. It makes me want to move to England. Let's move to England. Um, it's just like rolling super green hills and like quaint little cobblestone towns. Goats? Are there goats? I think so. Are there so. piggies? Sheeps. Sheeps? Although there was one episode where they, it's a town, it was near a town that's like known for uh, pig farming. And so there's like this mm. sausage making business. And they no. like showed how you make, so like not in graphic detail, but literally how you make sausage from the, like the grinder and you put it in the pig intestine. And I was just like, wow. No. But it's it's like a really cute show. The couples are always very sweet and like we just want to move to the country. Like there was one woman actually who's from New Jersey. Whoa. Her husband is English. Um lucky bitch. <laughs> and um they but it's they're just always like Oh, lovely. It's beautiful. Even though it's like, it doesn't check all their boxes. Like, it's just very relaxing to watch. And the houses are always so cute. Like, none of it's like the grandeur of like, you know, we're searching for this amazing mansion home. It's right. like, we want a cottage, please. They don't care about McMansions. No, but, but the funny thing is, it, like, there was one couple in an episode that I watched where it was like, you know... Emily is a stay-at-home mum, and her husband Rashid is a carpenter. Their budget is four hundred thousand pounds for their house, and I was like, "That's like wow. a that's a half a million dollar house." He is a carpenter. She is not working for pay. God, how do they have that budget? I always wonder that about. Oh, damn it, cat! <laughs> about about those shows. Yes, like why? Where they get their fucking budget? I don't know. Because so the many same of those people. House hunters. It's like. There was a joke some comedian did where, where it was exactly that, where it was like, you know, he makes, you know, shoestring gadgets and and she, you know, swims at the beach for money and their budget is $12 million. And it's like, how? Yeah, it's like, I don't think so. But it's a very cute sweet. That's what I'm excited about. Just self-care. Self-care. <laughs> so frequently. Yes. It's either for me, it's nerd shit mm -hmm. or relaxing self-care shit. I'm 100% with you. Mm. Yeah, mine tends to be nerd shit. Mostly. We're really nerdy people. We're really nerdy people, in case you have not figured that out yet. I feel like maybe you have, though. Possibly. You? As a listener. Oh. I was going to say, Hannah, I've known you for 15 years. You, the you <laughs> that listens to our... The, the collective you. The collective the, you. Uppercase Y. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, watch the show if you want something sweet. And also, British reality shows always have, like, really corny hosts. They're just corny. Where they'll, like, say something really cheesy. Like, the guy is always like, what do you think? Was it big enough for you? Even stuff like that. It's like, and, and they'll be like, ha-ha. Like, they're just kind of, like, politely laughing along. And you can <laughs> tell that they're like, this is some cheesy-ass bullshit. Oh, my God. But we're British, so we're going to be really polite about it. Fucking Brits. <laughs> Oh, you Brits. But that was, that's... I like it. Yeah. 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 Self-care. A plus. Yeah. Good pick. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, all right. All right. That's it for this week. That's it. Please rate, review, subscribe. subscribe. Tell your friends. Shoot us an email. Send us an email. GWBBpodcast at gmail.com. If you've got stuff to correct us on, please do, because we're not scholars. We don't know what we're saying half the time, so, you know, email us. Or DM us on Twitter is also fine. And also tell us your stories about your family members, who you love. We want to creep on your family. Or people you know who did cool things. Or murdered somebody. That would be fine. We want to creep on them, too. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) Do that. Um, Hannah Ferguson on the business end of everything. I'm doing, I'm doing the thing. Doing what's got to be done. Nah, it's great. Thanks. 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 Thanks for listening. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Tune in next week for yet another installment of Good Witches, <laughs> Bad Bitches. Peace out, witches. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you for our listening. <laughs> you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Blueberry, and more. Basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Mm-hmm. If you like our podcast, it would be really helpful if you could please like and subscribe, rate and review, share with your friends on social media, word of mouth, mm-hmm. all of that. It's great. Yes. And you can find us on Twitter at GWBB Podcast. Instagram is the same. And we are on Facebook under Good Witches, Bad Bitches Podcast. And hey, guess what? If you want to hear all of our episodes, they are all up at our website, GWBBpodcast.com. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to share with us and that you want us to share on our podcast at some point, you can email us at GWBBpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, guys. You know what? If you like what you hear, maybe please consider a little bit of supporting us financially by visiting our tip jar. Um, The link is in the show notes. Every little bit helps. It just kind of makes it so that we can keep this going so that it has some longevity. So just think about it. See see how you feel about it. Or you can support this podcast directly by buying us a coffee on our (laughs) Ko-Fi. So that is ko-fi.com slash GWBB podcast. Um, Coffees start at $3 because that's generally the price of a fancy coffee and it just helps us keep the ship going. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is produced by Moon Bounce and powered by Pinecast. Boom, boom, boom. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening.